0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here in Glendale today. Uh, my name is Jacob Arjon. My wife and I, Tiffany, help lead the college ministry here in Lifeway, and we brought a few of our students here. Some of them over there. Wave your hands, guys. Johnny and Joey, I know, and Louise. Most of them are San Gabriel. We meet most of the time with the college students, but we're excited to be here. My wife and I to be able to preach with you guys, and it's, uh, it's a good time to be here this Sunday. So, uh, first off, a couple of announcements we have before I start my sermon. Uh, First one is we have the Goodwill fundraiser coming up June 23rd, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We're fundraising for our special missions, and the goal is for each family group to bring about 30 bags to donate to Goodwill. It's going to be at Gaborino, and for us to show up early, and it contributes, and my wife is doing a fantastic job. Can you guys hear me? Is it kind of buzzy? Okay. Rick, should I switch to the mic? What should I do? I'm good? Okay, cool. So, let's all donate. And bring our bags because my wife already has about 30 by herself. So she's killing the game. <laughs> so I wanna challenge you guys go around, knock on some doors, and bring some bags on um, June 23rd, alright? Cool. So um, next one is the 30th anniversary. So today's actually the last day to register the $10 early bird price for this big celebration happening in September, I believe, right? September 7th. And so register, guys, to now, right now because I believe Lifeway is pretty close to having that halfway mark where we get the primary seating. And so if you haven't registered yet, guys, just do it today. It's 10 bucks. It'll be a great celebration, and we can't wait to be there in September. So, Awesome. So today I'm excited to preach with you guys for two reasons. One, because I love the Bible, and hopefully you guys do as well. I hope today can be an encouraging Bible study, and maybe we learn some things today. Also, number two, I'm going to share personally how things have been going with me and my life, with my wife and the campus ministry, and pretty fully and extensively. And San Gabriel actually hasn't even heard this stuff. And so you guys get the special treats hearing kind of how things have been going this past couple years with uh, my wife and I being here in Lifeway, all right? So this will be an exciting time. So the title of my lesson is Finish the Job. So Finish the Job is the title. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say that phrase, Finish the Job, I think of many different jobs that I want to finish. It's not just one thing. You know, am I the only one that, that, for this upcoming week, am I the only one who feels like I have more than one thing to do this week? Right? We all got a lot of stuff going on. And the summertime especially, we, no, we have the normal flow of work and school and all that and family. But summertime we got vacations to plan, uh, many graduation parties or welcome back home parties. And uh, it's warmer outside, so we want to do outside house projects and kind of uh, get some stuff done this summer, right? And for me, my head's constantly spinning all the time with my job as a minister, and now even more than usual because it's summertime, so I'm trying to transition students out of the campus ministry and transitioning students into the campus ministry. My wife and I are planning a, uh, a big summer mission trip in Estonia in July. That takes some planning and some work, uh, a mission team there for just a few weeks, and what else? Just the normal grind of being a college minister and Bible studies, sharing faith, mentoring, all that stuff. And uh, personally, my wife's birthday is next Sunday, and so she gets a birthday month, not just a birthday. So I'm trying to be a good husband and plan exciting things to do uh, almost every single day for her. And uh, also, physically, I'm trying to do a Spartan race in August. I'm trying to work out as well and get in shape. So I got a lot going on. I'm sure many of us can relate. It's always so much to do, but so little time. But luckily for us today, I'm not going to talk about a lesson on how to finish all those jobs, but rather focus on what God's calling us to do and the job that God wants us to complete. Because I believe that God has a job for each and every one of us to do. And those are the jobs that we should place the highest priority in finishing. And those specific jobs are different for everyone because we're all in different places in life. Now, God has a common theme. I guarantee He either wants you to grow more in love with him, or more better at loving people. But we're all in different spots, so his calls are different for all of us. For some of us, it might be your first time at church. If so, we welcome you, or maybe the first time in a while, or maybe throughout most of your life, you and God have kind of been a little wavy in and out. If that's the case, God's only job for you is for you to get close to him. That's all he desires. You're to reach out, study the Bible, join a community of believers, that's all He wants from you at this moment. That's your number one job. Maybe for some of us, it's we want to get open about sin. And uh, we want to, but it hasn't happened yet. And our sin's kind of plaguing our lives and kind of ruining all that's going on, our families, our marriages, and all that. And God just wants you simply to get open about what's going on and get some help. And for others, it's to grow in your boldness and courage to have a spiritual conversation with someone, whether that's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, co-worker, someone, and just to have a spiritual combo and say, hey, would you want to come to church? Would you want to do a Bible study? But for all this, God's calling us to do something. And before we move on to this lesson, I want you guys to ask yourself, what is that thing God c- is calling you to do? What is God's number one job for you? I think that's something vital for us to know, what God wants us to be working on. Amen? And so take a moment, if you're writing down notes today, then write down what you think God's number one job for you is in this moment. And if you're having a hard time figuring out what that is, well, you could ponder this question. If Jesus came back right now, what would be your greatest regret? What would be the thing you said, "Ah, I wish I did that before he came back? Whatever that is, that's probably it. That's God's number one job for you to finish. And I want you to hold on to that job in your mind. And throughout the rest of this lesson, let's be inspired by the story of Paul to complete that job. So we're going to talk about Paul today. So Acts chapter 13, let's turn there. So Acts 13. Let's start off by talking about what Paul was called to do. And it was a pretty simple task. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it reads, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after that, they had fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So Paul's job is very clear here. Go out into different cities and preach the word. And the goal was to plant a church in this city who's never heard about Jesus before. So a pretty clear job, uh, definitely a hard job to do, and Paul experienced different ups and downs. This first city he's about to go to, Antioch, was sprouting pretty well. It's a good city, good time. The church got planted, and many people believed it was a good time. No intense persecution. The next city, in Acts chapter 14, in Iconium, was kind of more half and half. The Bible said many of the Greeks and Jews believed, so that's good. But also some Jews disagreed and stirred up other Greeks. And they wanted to stone Paul. So that's not good. But luckily Paul escapes. So again, 50-50. Many people believe. Some people wanted to stone him. But he escaped. So, amen, But a church got planted in Arconium. So still, job well done. Good job, Paul. Then we go to Lystra. Let's pick up Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. Because Lystra has a different story that's more negative than positive. So, Acts chapter 14, verse 8. And Lystra... There sat a man who was lame. He had been there that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So that's nice. Paul heals someone. But let's see how the city responds to this miracle. The response is pretty crazy. In verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, They shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barmas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Wow. So Paul heals someone, and this city thinks they're Greek gods, and they want to sacrifice to Zeus and Hermes. This looks pretty bad. And if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, maybe I should skip this city. Maybe I don't finish the job on this one. I mean, these people are crazy. They think I'm a great God. How in the world am I going to convince them that there's just one God, let alone believe in Jesus and become Christians? The job seems a little too, too great in the city of Lystra. But let's read what Paul and Barnabas actually do. So verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd and shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So what's their response? They don't give up. They keep on preaching. They keep on trying to finish a job. They were going to plant a church in the city no matter what it took. So they continue to preach for a little bit, but verse 18, let's see how the crowd responds. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Wow, so they keep on preaching, but the crowd keeps on thinking, there's Zeus and Hermes. Let's sacrifice to these Greek gods. And believe it or not, it gets even worse from here. Because in verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. So one moment, they think, Greek gods are sacrifice to them. And the other moment, they are killing Paul and Barnabas. What a drastic change of events. And uh, we're not really sure if Paul is dead, dead, or just nearly dead. We don't really know. He's being dragged outside, and they think he's dead, so he's definitely injured. He might be completely dead, but might just be almost dead. But if he was almost dead, and could think consciously, what do you think he would be thinking about as he was being dragged outside that city? You know, if I were Paul, I would be thinking, man, I made a mistake. I should have stopped. Should have went on to another city. What was I thinking? Why did I even bother here in the city of Lystra? And would have felt very beaten up. Physically, of course, also emotionally and spiritually just beat up to the Pope. They each try to finish his job in this uh, just closed off city. And maybe we've never felt physically as beat up the way that Paul has, but I guarantee many of us emotionally and spiritually have felt beaten up when we try to do something God asks us to do. Because doing the right and godly thing isn't always easy. And the fruit that comes with it seems like it never comes or it takes a long time coming. And in fact, in my personal experience, I sometimes am not eager to do the jobs God calls me to do. And sometimes it's because of laziness or because of insecurity or because I feel too busy or because I prioritize other things on top of God's call. But when I get down to the root, all that stuff is usually after effects. The root is I'm just discouraged because I tried God's job and I failed. I failed and I got discouraged. And so laziness, other priorities, busyness, all that stuff kind of came up on top. But the root was, I just felt discouraged the first time I tried, so why keep trying? Can anyone else relate to this? On a more specific level, I personally felt called by God to do this job, be the college minister here on Lifeway, and the job was pretty clear, grow the campus ministry. But I'll be honest, for a the better part of these past two years, my wife and I have felt discouraged doing this job. We came in late spring 2017, and that first half of the year was kind of an adjustment. We uh, found a lot sin in the college students when we first came here, and that was fun, trying to <laughs> weed through all that. And then we were kind of figuring things out over the summertime, but we actually ended 2017 on a pretty positive note. We were able to baptize five people, and it was pretty, okay, this is, we got some momentum going here. So my wife and I were very excited about 2018, like, oh, this is going to be an amazing year. Just baptized five people, 2018 is going to be amazing. And feel very confident and capable of doing the job God asked me to do. But that's not what happened. And I experienced probably the most discouraging evangelistic and shepherding 12-month period I've experienced in my life. As three of, those baby, three of those five baby Christians fall away, and the entire year of 2018, I helped one guy become a Christian— and 2019 started off with that one guy also falling away. Wow. So, at around January, February time this past year, just a few months ago, I was feeling crushed. Felt like a failure, And so I asked myself the questions, Jake, what am I doing here? Is ministry really for me? Because it seems like nothing's working. Maybe I can't do this job. So maybe I should quit. And I guarantee if I had those thoughts this past year, I'm sure Paul had at least an inkling of those thoughts as he was being dragged outside the city. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) I should quit, (laughs) because I'm almost dead or pretty much dead. But what happens next is downright inspiring. And I hope that we can imitate Paul on his vigor in completing his job. Because in verse 20, it says, But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city. The next day, Barnabas left for Derby. So first off, he gets up, which is incredible. Again, he's already either dead, dead, or almost dead. So he gets up. That's a miracle in and of itself. Either he was raised to life, or he went from not being able to walk to walking on his own two feet. So incredible that he got back up. But even more inspiring, he got back up and went into that city once again. Why would he do that? Well, obviously he felt like he didn't finish his job there yet. He still had more to do, and he thought that job God called him to do was worth the sacrifice it took to complete it. So he went back in there. And what I love about the Bible is it tells us that that wasn't in vain because he actually was successful. Because the very next scripture, so they go to Derby first, in verse 21, it says they preached the gospel in that city, which is the city of Derby, and went a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. If you guys didn't catch this, Lystra was one of those cities. So we went back and strengthened the disciples there. So there was a church there. I don't know how, but in one night, God, um, God used Paul to plant a church in Lystra. <laughs> He went back, he strengthened those disciples, and he appointed elders in that city. Church, he finished the job. He planted a church in Elisha because he got back up and went back into that city. He picked himself back up, wiped up off the dust, and went back and finished the job. And that's the same thing I had to do just a few months ago. <laughs> I had to get back up, church, wipe out the dust, face the fact that I was still here, Had not gotten fired yet. I'm still here, so I still have a job left to do, and so I had to do that job. And thanks be to God, he just started throwing me some bones, and that was really encouraging. (laughs) So the first thing he did was he put on other people's hearts that we really need help, and the Argons have no idea what they're doing. so the Rodriguez's um, started to shepherd our group in the beginning of 2019, and they came in. And they have been such a huge support from my wife and I. It's been so great having them here. And then again, it's all God. God started working in the heart of uh, Kevin Revelo, who uh, grew up in our churches. And uh, at the beginning of this year, he started coming back, and on March 3rd, he uh, got restored, and that was a great celebration. And then after that, as Noah shared so beautifully um, last week for Commune, he decided to walk in through those doors into our lives, totally by God's design. And he started the Bible starting around February time, and on March 17th, he got baptized, and that was super encouraging. And God wasn't done showing off yet, um, and this next conversion I got to witness wasn't actually a part of the campus ministry, it was a part of my family. So a brief background on my family, my mom and dad have been a part of this fellowship of churches for about 24 years as Christians. And uh, thankfully myself, myself and my sister have also, within that time frame, became Christians. But for 24 years, that was it, just uh, my immediate family. And for most of my discipleship, I thought, really, that was just going to be it. Just me and my mom, dad, and sister. Because I saw my parents try really hard to reach out to the parents, reach out to the siblings, but to no avail. And I reasoned that if they're not going to listen to mom and dad, why are they listening to little old me? The nephew, the grandson, what do I have to offer? Thankfully, I've been feeling this spirit kind of kicking me in the butt these past couple uh, years because— I'm literally a paid minister now, so if I can't speak to my family, who can, right? And so I started to put my big boy pants on and right. get some boldness, get some courage. And this past Thanksgiving, I spent time with most of my family in Bakersfield, all of my extended family lives in Bakersfield. And my Uncle Paul's been going through a rough time these past couple of years, and so some a lot of courage, a lot of prayer, I just went for it. And I told my uncle, Uncle Paul, you need to come to church. And you need to study the Bible. I didn't ask. I just told him that's what he need to do. <laughs> and God used that single moment back this past Thanksgiving on April 7th. I got to see my Uncle Paul get baptized. And, wow. and that was an amazing day. And then the Sunday after that, we had another student get baptized at Cal State, L.A., Luis. And uh, that was such a cool experience because uh, I met him sharing my faith, but after I met him, the students just kind of swarmed in. And he connected so well with all the guys, and it was a great baptism. People were so encouraged. And then um, after that, we closed off with the guy at USC. His name was Jules, and Jules was incredibly uh, faith-building because he started off being a very typical— USC student that I've met and I've been through this rodeo time and time again. Computer science major, so focused a lot on school, and religious background, so he was already part of many different Christian groups on campus. And so I was feeling quite faithless meeting up with him. Met him back in January, and uh, it was a slow burn. I think our very first Bible study, he gave me 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, this is a record for that. Um, And he was a really, really slow burn. And uh, I kind of, I read the guy, it's like, this guy's just not going to make it. So I purposely started to really challenge him really hard. Almost looking back, I might have been a little too harsh a couple times, to the point that some of my students sitting in the Bible studies got a little uncomfortable. But he just kept on responding back with a stone-cold face or a a slight smile. eventually he learned to rise to the challenges I gave him. He fought to allow the cross to mold his heart to put God before school. And he fought through understanding true biblical doctrine to put away the study of all his religiosity. And he went from that guy who first studied 20 minutes and took forever to get going, to when I asked him, when do you want to get baptized? He said, as soon as possible. I got baptized that same night. Amen. And then he left a few days after that to go to Boise to intern for the summer. But he got connected immediately into our sister church over there, been there every Sunday, and he's been connected to the college ministry, so we love Jules. I can't wait for him to come back um, in August. So, in just a few months, God uh, turned what was the most discouraging evangelistic year of my life into the best two months I've ever experienced evangelistically in my life. <laughs> and the best part is all five of those guys are still faithful, they're doing well, and, uh, and they're And they're growing is encouraging. When I look at that screen, I feel so grateful that I didn't give up. And it's not because I was like the catalyst or I was the main component. I was just really a page slipper in many of those guys' lives. But I'm so grateful I just got to stick around to experience what God had to offer. And the ups that do come from being a college minister that sticks it out and perseveres through the hard times. Because there are ups, and I'm learning there, there are ups to this job. <laughs> it's been good. And guys, that's the thing, that we have no idea what great things God has planned for us to experience and we simply hold on to the jobs that God calls us to do and do what we can to complete them. And I pray that I can encourage all of us today that if, you like, if you're like me and the reason why you've stopped trying to finish the job that God called you to do is because you've tried, you failed, and now you're discouraged, I implore you, don't give up on God's plan. Finish the job and see it through. Because you have no idea what reward God has in store for you if you stay faithful to his call. In fact, we have no idea what reward God has planned for those who stay faithful to his call. And actually, going back to the Apostle Paul, God wasn't even done yet with him in the city of Lystra. So, let's go to Acts chapter 16, because Paul returns there a few years later, and this is what he finds. And if you're a Bible scholar, reading this should incredibly encourage you. And if you're not, hopefully I can explain it. It's also encouraging to you as well. So Acts 16, verse 1. Guess I didn't put it up there. Amen. Cool. So Acts 16, verse 1. You guys turn there by yourselves. It reads, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. you guys, because Paul went back into the city and planted that church. A few years later, that church is what, provi- was what led to him finding Timothy. Wow. Timothy came from that church. And if you don't know your Bible well, uh, this is the same Timothy that, that Paul wrote First and Second Timothy to. And uh, you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. This is a, uh, a passage that really describes the relationship that Paul had to Timothy. So 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, it reads, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You see, Paul never had a wife. He never had kids. Timothy became his true son in the faith. And everything Paul was about, he taught to Timothy so much so that Timothy became an exact replica of Paul, is basically what the scripture is saying. And I say that a few years later, as Paul looked back at a healthy, growing church in Lystra with the eldership in place, they would later produce probably the most important friendship he had in his life on earth in Timothy. I bet he felt pretty grateful he didn't give up on the job, that he saw it through again, we have no idea what reward God will give us if we finish the jobs he calls us to do. And I want you guys to ask yourselves now, what can happen to all of us? What can happen to this church, to our families, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, if all of us made a decision to push through the discouragements and see through the jobs God has given us? I think the results would be downright incredible and we'd all have so many great stories to tell. And I'd love to hear them. I want to close by sharing what has been my favorite story to tell of my family. And this is about the DJ family. So here are the Dujays, um, a great Haitian family that I have come very close to over the years. So about 16 years ago, my parents were going through a tough time spiritually. They lost a lot of friends who either moved out or left the faith. And they had a desire to build better friendships and more friendships. So that same year, in 2003, I started to play youth tackle football, And my mom and dad used that as an opportunity to build friendships with more of the parents there. And one night, I was out with my family at a Mexican restaurant, and the DJ's came in, and I played football with the son, and the dad was one of my coaches. We said hi. We sat on opposite tables, uh, had our dinners. And my dad just chose, let me just pick up the bill for this family secretly. So we did that. And that blossomed to this amazing friendship that started to form year by year. We started to go over to their house for dinners, them come over to our house for dinners. We just started to hang out a lot more. And my parents didn't necessarily choose, like, the most spiritual people that they could have found. These parents were were pretty funny. Um, I think I heard probably my first bad words from the mom ever in my life, and I listened to the very first bad music with the dad, because the dad would drive me to practice. And so (laughs) they weren't, like, amazingly great spiritual people at the time, but they were just good people, and my mom and dad wanted to try so, eventually, they started to come out to church about once or twice a year. And the reason why is because the mom was pretty religious and she had her own background, and the dad was kind of a little more busy and not as uh, religious. And so, it was about once or twice a year, pretty much Easter and one other day. They were to come to our service. And that was pretty much it for about six, seven years. And then I became a Christian in high school. And I was pretty zealous as a young Christian. And so one of the first guys I started the Bible with was with their son, Julian. Uh, That guy, right over there. And uh, it did not go well. He wasn't open. And it got kind of awkward and a little tense with our families for a little bit. So what's my mom and dad probably thinking? Seven-year ongoing friendship, and of course they were The zealous kid has to come and ruin it all, right? And so, but they pushed through that. They pushed through the awkwardness, and they kept on—they rebuilt the friendship and went back to, again, once or twice a year, (laughs) coming to church. And I went off to college, and during one of those times, uh, this little one, who was probably about five or six at the time, he really loved Kingdom Kids. And he told his mom and dad, I love this place. We need to go every week. (laughs) As a result, that was 2014. uh, The daughter, Joelle, she uh, started uh, getting involved in teen ministry, studied the Bible, and she got baptized. And in that same calendar year, her mom and dad got baptized as well. And this is a picture of uh, their baptism the mom and dad. So, little kid Jalen, dad, mom. Joelle, older brother, still hasn't made it, pray for him, and um, the white girl on the far right side, uh, her name is Taylor, and I don't have too much time to go into this, but basically Joelle DJ is an absolute stud, and she started a Bible talk in my high school, reached out to a ton of people, this is one of the girls that got baptized there, and just been a ginormous ripple effect, I've lost count of how many people have become Christians based off this family, and mostly because of that girl Joelle, just a firecracker. And now she just graduated from APU, and a lot of time has passed, and she's now in the full-time ministry, and she's going to be going to Bakersfield, where my family's at, and I'm convinced that God wants her to steal a deal with the rest of my family. Amen. And going back to this family, th- the fruit hasn't stopped this past year. Uh, the dad baptized his twin brother and his wife. And But overall, the the point of this is that um, all this came from my parents wanting to do something. And, uh, one second. (laughs) Hmm, cool. All right. In 2003, they were discouraged. They wanted us to make some more friends. And uh, now, 16 years later, this is their friendship. This is the in High School My mom and dad were in town from Oakland, and the Jay family came up to see me preach just this past year. This is a picture of them in Oakland, flying up to see my mom and dad, and they found their best friends again. So, (laughs) it's funny, I cried a lot with my wife this morning. She said that I probably got it all out then, but I guess I didn't, so Amen. Cool. <laughs> Guys, I want to encourage all of us, the jobs you've started with God, see them through. Because you have no idea what great things can happen. I close with this scripture, Galatians 6, verse 9, a scripture that many of us have probably seen many times before. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Guys, we have no idea what type of fruit we can, we can gain if we don't continue to, if we don't give up laboring. And some of us have heard this scripture many times before, like I have, and it's kind of become one of those scriptures that oh, we've heard it before and we can stop believing in it. And that's been me. God, I can stop believing that doing the good work for God, that something can happen from it. And because it can be tough. And it's funny, I'm learning that campus ministry is very like, it's very wavy. <laughs> it's, it's up and down, up and down. I share all that good news. That good news was about three weeks ago. Three weeks is a long time in the campus ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and so this past couple of weeks, it's like my wife and I have been just hit with bad news after bad news and just now we're kinda more at it down. And just all the insecurities are coming back up. But we're not gonna quit. We're not giving up the job because there's still so much to do. We want to finish the job God called us to do. And so, church, I want to encourage you to do the same. I implore you. doesn't matter the discouragement you have felt in the past. The thing that God calls you to do, see it through. Finish the job. Because Paul did that back in last year. He found his Timothy. What does God have planned for you if you see your jobs through? We have no idea. Let's finish the job. And I'm going to pray for you guys before I keep on crying then you'll be dismissed. Uh, Dear God, thank you so much for this time today. This this was a lesson that I needed. It was refreshing for my soul and just uh, got some good tears out, and I pray that uh, the church as well can be inspired going forward to uh, look back at the different things that you've had that's pricked our hearts, whether that's us just putting you first in our life and seeking you out and studying the Bible, being more dedicated church, whether that's having more conversations or whatever it is, God, just please help us to, uh, the things you call us to do, let us be good workers. Let us see us through. Let let us have the faith that you call us to do these things for a reason. You have a great plan in store. And God, we can't wait to see the stories that come with us, persevering through these jobs. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.